Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's God's word for his people today. You may be seated and let's pray now once again and ask for God's help. Father, we praise you for your patience, which is unfathomable. How patient you are with us as we constantly roam. And so help us to see not only your patience, but its grand purpose in it. What your patience shows us and points us to, so that we might have eyes to see your glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, today's fruit of the Spirit is patience, so I'm sure you're all just ready to hear this one. I mean, can you remember the last time you had to wait for anything longer than a minute or two? <laughs> and, and what begins to happen within you when that happens? I mean, when checking out on Amazon, what happens when you actually have to wait two whole days for it to arrive? I mean, I ordered something uh, this week, and it was on our porch hours later. And when someone asks a question these days, we no longer have to wonder or talk it out or think through it. We just get out our phones and do a quick search, which returns hundreds of thousands of results instantly. Last week, our internet was down a little bit, and so we had to use our phone's data, and it was taking so long, you know, like three whole seconds longer than Wi-Fi usually takes. And I could feel like that while you're waiting for it to load that frustration building within me. And I thought, can you give it one whole second to get from a tower a half mile away through the air, delivered to a device in your hand that's 900 million times faster than the first computer that guided the astronauts to the moon? And I'm like, no, I can't. I need it. I need this answer now. Come on, Google. And in our instant everything world, Impatience is catered to, impatience is celebrated, and it's cultivated by everything around us. Uh, but is waiting without anger or frustration the patience that the Holy Spirit cultivates in God's people? Is the Spirit making us a people who can sit contently in a doctor's office as name after name after name except ours gets called? Or the kind of person who can sit behind a driver on their phone at a red light for three straight cycles without moving and without you losing it? Is that the kind of patience that is the fruit of the Spirit? And I think the fruit of the Spirit isn't less than that. It's not less than waiting without frustration or anger, but the Holy Spirit is growing something far greater in the lives of God's people. And we see that. We see the kind of patience the fruit of the Spirit is as we look to the character of God, as we look to God's character. Because the, Bible, uh, the God of the Bible is never impatient. He never acts rashly. He's always enduringly patient. 
And so I want to first highlight two ways the Bible defines God's patience as we begin this morning. Two ways. God is long-suffering and God's forbearance. God's long-suffering and God's forbearance. So first, God's long-suffering. This characteristic first shows up in Exodus 34 uh, in response to Moses asking God to show him his glory on Mount Sinai. And God says, you don't know what you're asking for, because if I showed you my glory, you'd be dead. And so he says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you up. And when I do, I'm going to pass before you. And so God does this. And when God covers up Moses and passes before him, he says this in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And it it does go on. God's self-revelation of who he is, his character, continues on. But for this morning, we want to focus on the fact that God reveals that he is slow to anger. One of the first things God reveals about himself is that he's slow to anger, along with being merciful and gracious. That phrase in the Hebrew, uh, uh, slow to anger, literally means long of nostrils, long of nostrils, which does not mean God has a huge snoz, right? It it means uh, that he is not quick-tempered. It's kind of funny, right, when you think about it, long of nostrils, uh, but it's really accurate because when people get angry, it does not stay inside, does it? Anger erupts, and when it does, you can see it on a person's face because their nose all of a sudden gets very scrunched up. You know, all of a sudden you're very calm, and you're like, do-do-do-do-do, and someone does something, and you're like, mm. That nose just goes right up to your forehead. And so what we see here is that God has long nostrils. He, he isn't quick-tempered. So in those situations where you'd expect God to let it loose, we see his long nostrils. We see his patience. He's not thrown off by our sin or any situation because God reigns. And so his plans are never in doubt. And when your plans are never in doubt, there's really nothing ever to get angry about, which means God is never frustrated. God is never frustrated. I mean, think about that. How many times were you frustrated this week? How many times were you already frustrated this morning? Or maybe during this service? I mean, we are frustrated constantly. But you might think, well, okay, I got frustrated, but my nostrils didn't get short. I, was, I actually held it together pretty good. Uh, but I wonder if your slowness to anger and your frustration uh, was like God's. And this is what I mean, the difference between the worldly patience that we often think of and what the Spirit's actually cultivating in us. Is your slowness to anger like God's? Because I think often we get to a point in those situations that would usually cause us to get angry, uh, but now we're so cynical that our slowness to anger is just apathy. It's it's just like, ah, I can't do anything about this, so I'm not going to get angry about it. You're not really cool and collected. You're just indifferent. 
because there's nothing you can do. And this is the exact opposite of the kind of patience that we see in God. God is never indifferent. He's slow to anger because he actually abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is full of mercy and grace. So he's never impatient or frustrated because his plan to put on display his mercy and grace can never be thwarted. And when your plan can never be thwarted, you're never quick-tempered. And that's one of the reasons why uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see that God has to be provoked to anger. The Lord was provoked to anger. We see that, that phrase throughout the Old Testament, which means anger is not his natural disposition. It's, when you're provoked to something, it's because it's not naturally arising within you. Now, that doesn't mean God never gets angry. It just means that God's not sitting on high looking for reasons to act in anger. He, like he's got all this anger pent up within him, like that's his disposition, and he's got to find a way to let it loose. He does act in holy anger towards unholiness, sin, and evil. God does get angry, but he never has to be provoked to be merciful and gracious. It's who he is. That's what naturally flows from him. Mercy and grace, slowness to anger, abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. And because that's who God is, he's always slow to anger. He's long-suffering. Friend, I don't know uh, what comes to your mind when you think of God, but if you think uh, that God is in heaven looking for reasons to rain down anger upon you, he's not. Frankly, he has them already. <laughs> he doesn't need more. It, it, we are reasons to be angry. In our sin, that's what we deserve. But while your sin isn't pleasing to God, he's not growing increasingly angry or frustrated or impatient with you. He is a God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who forgives, a God who is slow to anger. But that self-revelation in Exodus 34 continues, and it tells us that though God is those things, he will not always clear the guilty. And so rather than counting God's slowness to anger as proof that he will never judge sin, we need to count his slowness as a grace and turn to him by repenting of the things that do provoke him to anger and believe in Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sin. And by faith, it's Jesus' perfect life that gets counted as ours, his atoning death that counts as ours. So rather than facing the just judgment your sin deserves, God is slow to anger because he mercifully forgives. He mercifully saves sinners in Jesus Christ. So don't take advantage of God's slowness to anger as a reason to continue in sin. Count it as a grace and turn to Christ. And brothers and sisters, when you think of God, uh, do you remember God is enduringly patient? When you list off his characteristics, the nature of God, when you, when you come up with those things that God is, where does patience come into the picture for you? 
When God revealed himself in Exodus 34, he insists that the first things that we think about him are merciful and gracious and enduringly patient. He is slow to anger. He insists that we drill that into our minds, who he is. Listen to Dane Ortland. He says this uh, in Gentle and Lowly. The Christian life, for, from one angle, is the long journey of letting our natural assumption about who God is fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence on who he is. Meaning the Christian life is the, 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 the journey of getting out of our heads who God isn't and replacing it with God's insistence on who he actually is. And then Ortland goes on to say this, perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life is not the sin in which you indulge, but the dark thoughts of God that cause you to sin in the first place and then keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. That is tremendously helpful because it is your view of God that leads to everything you do. Your view of God impacts and fuels every action. And so not only do our wrong thoughts of God often lead us to walk away from him, our wrong thoughts of God often keep us away from him in the wake of our walking away from him. We think, oh, I've screwed it up too much this time. I've, 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 he's run out of patience with me. This is finally the last straw where he keeps me away and at arm's length forever. But we must always remember that the Lord is a God merciful and gracious. He is enduringly patient. And the full picture of, of who our God truly is is seen in Jesus Christ, isn't it? What Moses longed to see on Mount Sinai, we behold in Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us in spite of what our sin deserved. And Jesus is God's long-suffering patience on display for sinners like us. Praise God that he is long-suffering. And so a second way, then, the Bible defines God's patience is the word forbearance. Forbearance. Forbearance is God not immediately judging our sin as it deserves. God doesn't immediately respond with the just judgment our sin deserves. That's forbearance. God is, on the other hand, patient toward our sin. And since he's patient toward our sin, his first step toward sinner isn't judgment, it's mercy and grace. While we were dead in sin, Christ died for us. When we were dead in sin, God raised us up and united us with Jesus Christ. When we were facing eternal punishment, God in his great mercy sent Jesus to bear that punishment in his people's place for the glory of his name. God, God forbears with sinners. And this salvation of sinners, this forbearance, could only take place if Jesus took the penalty for our sin. God would not be just. He would not be just if God left sin unpunished. And so to save sinners, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed for the penalty of sin is death. But listen to how uh, God explains this forbearance of sinners while still being just in Romans chapter 3. Uh, in, in the middle of this argument, Paul writes this, whom God put forward, that's Jesus, 
God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The penalty of sin is death, but we didn't get what our sin deserves because in his righteousness, in his divine forbearance, God had passed over that sin. Why? It was to show God's righteousness at the present time to show God's righteousness so that he might be just in not leaving sin unpunished, but also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So you see what God was doing in passing over former sins was not like he created the Garden of Eden and then we ruined it. And he was like, what in the world are we going to do now? And it wasn't when he called out his people from all the nations of the earth and they just kept rebelling against him and rebelling against him and rebelling against him. He's twiddling his thumbs going, how am I going to fix all this? What is going on? What is wrong with you people? Look at what I've done for you. God wasn't ever frustrated by sin. He wasn't passing over our sins in an effort to try and figure out what to do. He wasn't growing impatient while trying to figure out a plan. God was committed to showing his righteousness and justice by not responding immediately to sin with the judgment it justly deserves. But he did that. He forbeared in order to display both his divine justice and his saving grace through faith in Jesus. God forbears not because he is not just, but because he's going to be both just and justifier. He's going to display who he is, merciful and gracious, a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who forgives. And in order to display the greatness of who he is, we see his divine justice and his divine forbearance. Excuse me, his divine righteousness and his divine forbearance. And so rather than saying, forget these sinful humans, they're never going to change, God forbears our sin in order to show the greatness of of his mercy and grace. That's why the first things out of his mouth when he reveals himself in Exodus 34 is that he is the Lord, a God merciful in grace, slow to anger, and faithful in steadfast love. And because he is, our God is never impatient. The things that frustrate us, the brokenness of our world, the failures of others, and our own failures are where our impatience grows. But God is never impatient in the face of those things because our sin and our brokenness are actually divine opportunities for God to display the immeasurable riches of his mercy and grace. Isn't that amazing? Man, I am, more, I am impatient. If you, think, if you don't think so, just come hang out with me this afternoon. I'll, I mean, it'll come out sooner or later. I'm pretty impatient. God, I mean, not only is God never frustrated, he's never impatient. He's never impatient because nothing is ever thwarting his plans to put on display the greatness of his mercy and grace. And now that will make some of us a little uneasy uh, because when you hear that sin doesn't frustrate or make God impatient. It actually is an opportunity to pour out mercy and grace. That'll make some of us a little uneasy because we're going to think, well, people are going to hear that and they're just going to cut it loose. They're just going to sin like never before. 
But let me remind you of Paul's arguments in Galatians. God doesn't pour out mercy and grace upon sinners in Jesus Christ so that they continue to live in slavery to sin. Why does God save sinners? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Free to live the life of love and joy and peace that God both created us for and then saved us for. So if the grace of God is treated cheaply, and it is, we don't have to argue about whether or not it is. We can say, okay, it is. Some treat the grace of God cheaply, but that's not because we preach the free grace of God. It's rather because people haven't truly tasted the free grace of God. When you taste the true free grace of God, it sets you free from slavery to sin, not to continue in it. And God patiently forbears with sinners, not so that they can keep living apart from him however they want, but God forbears with sinners by not immediately responding with the judgment their sin deserves. And he does that to put on display his mercy and grace because he's a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, long of nostrils, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiveness. So there's other ways that the Bible talks about God's patience, but those are two of the main ways. God is long-suffering and God's forbearance. And those are the root of the Holy Spirit's fruit of patience in our lives. The root of God's character becomes the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And maybe you've noticed that we're doing this summer series on the fruit of the Spirit, and it's supposed to be about these words, but we've started each Sunday off with a character study of God because the fruit of the Spirit isn't just some random list uh, of virtues that Paul thought up in Galatians 5. They're deeply connected to who God is because the root of God's character produces the fruit of God's, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit in God's people. So the God of love, joy, and peace makes us a people of love, joy, and in peace through the Holy Spirit's fruit-bearing work in our lives. And so each week we've seen how the root of God's character leads to the fruit of the Spirit, whatever particular one it is in our lives. And each week as I've prepared these sermons, I've uh, been confronted with my own shortcomings, but I've also tasted God's transforming grace incrementally, incrementally. So I've noticed how unloving and unpeaceful and how uh, much I often lack joy. And so last week when I walked out to the picnic last Sunday, I realized, oh no, next Sunday is patience. And I was like, maybe, maybe I can call in sick, you know? And then I was like, God, I'm super patient. I'm so more patient than I was last year, you know? And I joked around with a few people in my small group that this week is going to be like one one that I'm not looking for. I'm going to be in for it this week. And of course on Monday, you know, our dryer starts knocking around crazy. Our dishwasher starts leaking. Um, you know, everything starts going wrong all at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, here we go, right? But the amazing thing is God doesn't say, now be patient. I'm going to start throwing things into your lives to test you, to see how patient you really are. So remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit. God knows the works of the flesh that naturally arise within us impatience is what God knows is going to come out of us in our fleshly response. But God doesn't expect us to be patient. He says the fruit of the Spirit, 
the, the, what the Spirit is working in you is increasing patience. He doesn't say, here's a test, pass or fail, and if you fail, I'm going to get impatient with you. He says, here, n- these are situations where I'm going to cultivate patience in you so that we more and more reflect the image of the God who saved us. So we look at God's character, and as we see that root, the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in us. So I want to focus on two main areas with the time we have remaining, with where the Spirit usually and mainly cultivates patience in the lives of God's people. Uh, In providence and with people. In providence and with people. That's where the Spirit mainly cultivates patience in our lives. So first, patience in providence. In providence. We live in a world that is ruined by sin. And it's uh, not, uh, you know, surprising at all for me to say life is hard. And, And you begin to feel it more and more on those days when a million things are going wrong all at the same time. And you start to think, I can't take one more thing because even the easy things are super hard and it feels like I'm slogging through muck. And in times like those, what rises up in our flesh, the natural response is irritated impatience irritated impatience. Whether it's you're late for work and you come around the corner on I-75 and there's the traffic back up. Or a co-worker failures um, which are super clear when you arrive in the office are adding to now your to-do list. Or maybe you're looking for a new job or a new place to live and nothing seems to be working out. We could go on and on, but whatever it is in your life that you just want sorted out right now so that you don't have to deal with it, the fleshly response to those providences, those circumstances and situations in our lives, is usually and naturally irritated impatience. And this goes not just for the smaller, you know, mundane things in life, for the bigger things in life too, like suffering. Because it's one thing to get stuck in a traffic jam on a Monday morning. It's quite another uh, to, lay, to, to hear the word cancer. Or when you get home and the loneliness or anxiety and the grief of that come with living in a broken world just won't lift. And our natural response is impatience to those things, which is often expressed when we ask the question, why? Why? Whether we believe we're undergoing something we don't deserve, whether we're facing something we just can't understand, whether things aren't going according to our timetable, when we're faced with circumstances we don't understand or we can't figure out on our own, we impatiently demand answers to why this is happening. Why aren't you acting? Why isn't this being sorted out? And it's in those moments when the Holy Spirit works to change our question from why to what. The the Spirit cultivates patience, often by not just granting it immediately in the moment to you, but by working through the moment to help you change your perspective, to help change our question from why this is happening to what is God doing in me through these circumstances? What is God doing in me through this. Don't ask why. When we see the question asked why in the Bible, I don't think it's ever answered. It's usually confronted with who God is, and that's about it. And then there's times 
where it's who God is and what I'm doing in you and because of this through you. Not, not all the answers and the details and a plan and a blueprint to what God is doing. It's usually the question, what is God growing in me through this? And when that's your question, not why, but what, the Spirit will begin cultivating patience in your life. And when God is, uh, or whatever God is providentially doing in your life, we might not know why, but we do know what. Now, I referenced First Timothy, or excuse me, First Thessalonians four a few weeks ago at the beginning of our series. What God is doing is this: the will of God is this, your sanctification. I don't know why or how it's all going to get worked out, but I do know what. He wants to make you more like Jesus. Sanctification is the Spirit of God making the people of God more like the Son of God. And because we're not yet what we will be, the Spirit is at work to make you more and more into the image of Jesus. And so when it comes to patience and whatever God is doing providentially in your life, He is making you more like Jesus. That's the what. And 1 Peter 2 tells us how Jesus faced the troublesome providences of life. How did Jesus display patience in providence? Well, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So when he was provoked, he did not respond in kind. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, entrusting himself. Patience in providence looks like entrusting yourself to God, to his reasons for leading you into this, for his plans and what he's accomplishing, his purposes in it, and entrusting yourself to God's timetable for all of it which if you're like me, might be the hardest. And I don't mean to sound uh, trite or cliche. I I know many of you in this room have gone through very difficult and from the outside, from our perspective, sometimes seemingly unbearable providences that we wouldn't wish on anyone. But so did Jesus. So did Jesus. And our never-impatient Savior kept waiting upon the always good and faithful God. Because he could trust God. He entrusted himself to the God who does right always, who judges justly. And that's the patience that the Spirit cultivates in God's people. You see, so it's so much more than just not yelling at the driver in front of you who can't hear you anyways when they're on their phone. So maybe you honk your horn, but still, you know what I mean, you know? And I'm not saying you never give them a little, you know, horn tap. I mean, three cycles is probably long enough to get them off Google, right? But I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's not that. It's the spirit in which we do it in. So, it, it, but you see how the patience is, is just much more than being able to be cool and collected on the outside, in spite of things that are causing you to wait. Not, uh, the patience of the Spirit isn't waiting in a doctor's office, passing time without getting upset that they're not calling your name. But waiting, that is the Spirit, fruit 
uh, cultivated in you, the patience that the Spirit is growing in you, is waiting by fixing your eyes on God. You see the difference? Waiting by fixing your eyes on God, by entrusting yourself to our always good and faithful God. And even in the most difficult times, the Spirit grows patience in us by showing us we can, like Jesus, entrust ourselves to God. And I hope you see the connection to what I was trying to say earlier uh, with that quote from Dane Ortland. How we view God determines if we're going to entrust ourselves to him. So how does the Spirit show us that we can, like Jesus, entrust ourselves to God? Because God is never late. God's never impatient. He's never worried. He's not anxious about his plans. He's not wondering if his plans are going to get thwarted, if his purposes are in danger of not being accomplished. In other words, God is never wrong, and God is never late. I love how Jen Wilkin puts it in her uh, great book, None Like Him. She says this about God. The past holds for God no missed opportunity, no regrets. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. The past, no missed opportunity. The present, no anxiety. The future, no uncertainty. That's that's who our God is. And if God didn't miss anything in the past, if he didn't overlook some detail, if if something happened that he was like, oh man, I I wish that wouldn't have occurred. If the present doesn't find him wringing his hands over what's unfolding in anxiety. And if the future uh, isn't um, uh, unfolding in a way that he's not certain about what's going to happen, if God's not worried about what's to come, well, then we can patiently entrust ourselves to him with everything that has happened. Even when we want to go, why? We can trust God with what was happened. We want to say why about what is happening. And we're wondering what's going to happen next. What will happen? We can patiently entrust ourselves to this God who over both past, present, and future is sovereign. And so the spirit-cultivated patience then is really a growing faith in God. Patience is really a growing faith in God. It's repenting of our attempts to control life according to our plans, according to our timetable, and according to our wisdom. And if we're really pretty honest with each other, that's really where our impatience festers when God's plans and timetable and wisdom are at odds with our own. And so spirit-cultivated patience is really humbly submitting to God's perfect purposes, plans, and timing. That's patience in providence, which means, brothers and sisters, impatience is really just another word for pride. It's really just pride. And so as the Spirit grants us repentance of our pride in knowing we, in thinking we know better, we plan better, I have a better timetable than God, The Spirit grows the fruit of humble trust in all those moments when God's plans and times are at odds with our own. That's patience 
in providence. And often what we find in providence is that it's not just the things that are happening, but the other people in them that cause me impatience. And I want to say it's those people, not actually what's really in me. I'd be pretty patient if all of you didn't exist, you know? And so the second main area that the Spirit cultivates patience in our life, the Spirit does not cultivate pride. The flesh cultivates the pride. The Spirit crushes it and grows patience in our lives is in the area of people. And maybe they've caused you pain. Maybe they frequently provoke you. And sometimes it's the neighbor or the coworker that does it on purpose. Like you know, you just know that they're doing that. You've told them so many times and they just keep doing it. Maybe it's just the way they are. <laughs> You're like, man, it, it's you. You know this, right? It's just you. It's just, it's just how you are. Or the sound of their voice, it just gets under your skin. And maybe you're just being nicer than that. Maybe they're really nice. It's just that their shortcomings are constantly frustrating the snot out of you. Like, they're super nice, and they're always saying sorry, but man, you're like, I could just strangle you. I want to. And often, often, it's the, love, the, the ones we love most, the people who we live with that are closest to us, the ones we love most that we get impatient with the most, right? I heard a comedian recently say, how do you tell a person, uh, the one you love the most, that out of all the people in the world, they're the only one you don't want right by you right now? <laughs> like, how do you tell the person you love the most, get away from me? Because it is the people that we love most that often bear the brunt of our impatience. And in our broken world, impatience affects every relationship we have. And in those moments when we not only desire to blast the other person, but they deserve it too, that's the, when the Spirit cultivates our patience with people. And the Spirit does that. It grows patience within us by reminding us of God's long-suffering, forbearing, enduring patience with us. God has never lost his temper with his people. That does not mean he's never punished them. I'm saying he's never lost it on them. He's never flipped out on them. He's never turned his back on them. He's never unforgiving. He has never canceled them. God never asks, what is wrong with you? Why do you keep doing this over and over and over and over and over? Now, that doesn't mean there's never any consequences. There's, there are consequences for what we do. But God's enduring patience means that God never leaves us or forsakes his people even in the consequences. Even when he sends them, he hears their cries when they call out to them, when he sends them into exile. When they're bearing the just consequences for their sin, he comes and rescues them throughout the Old Testament. He has never left them. He has never closed the door on their prayers, even in the consequences. And so when we lose our patience with others, it's only because we've forgotten how patient God has been with us. That in spite of how much we've sinned against God, he's never recoiled from us. He's never slammed the door on us. He's never let us go. 
I mean, if we treated God how we often treat others when they sin against us or fail us or just annoy the snot out of us, where would we be? And so praise God that the sin of his people actually awakens the opposite response in God. Not recoiling, but moving towards. Listen to Thomas Goodwin. He's an old Puritan pastor. He wrote this in his book, The Heart of Christ. Christ takes part with you. That means Christ is with you and, and, and is so far from being provoked against you as all his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it. Yes, his pity is increased the more towards you. And he, loving your persons and hating only the sin, his hatred shall all fall and that only upon the sin. That means his hatred shall fall, and all of it, only on your sin, to free you of its ruin and destruction. But his affections shall be the more drawn out to you. We often think when I sin, God's got me stiff-armed. But it's actually in our sin that the heart of Christ moves towards us. Because his purpose is to display in God's divine righteousness the greatness of his mercy. He hates our sin. He pours out his wrath upon it so that it doesn't destroy us or ruin us. Yes, but what is poured out towards us? It's pity, love. And he goes on to say it like if his son had cancer. He would hate the cancer in the son's flesh. They would do everything to destroy it. But his heart would be moved towards pity, towards his son. And like that, Christ's, in God, his anger is poured out on the sin, yes, to destroy it so it doesn't ruin us. But what moves God towards us is pity. It's us. He loves us. So if you, by faith, are united to Christ, your sin stirs up a deep love for you, not his impatience with you. Again, we have to, this is not that there's no consequences. It's not that God never gets angry at sin. What, what is the heart of Christ towards sinners? It's not recoiling impatience, frustration. It's mercy and grace and steadfast love. Jesus is with us and he is for us. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. So while he fights to destroy our sin, he does not move to destroy us, even though that's what we deserve. The heart of Christ moves with compassionate patience towards his people. It is not filled with a growing impatience that keeps them away. And so, brothers and sisters, the that's the fruit of patience which the Spirit grows in the lives of Christ's people. That we are Reflecting that kind of patience with others. And we do that when the more our heart is moved by how patient God has been with us, how daily, moment by moment, he is patient towards us, the more patient we'll be with others. And in our instant everything world, what a witness a patient, long-suffering, forbearing church would be, wouldn't it? What a witness that kind of patience would be in our impatient, suffering-averse, canceling world. It, it, when people see our lives together, surrounded or uh, centered by the cross, and they see that we don't grow impatient with others like we should, I mean, what a witness that would be. 
that when impatience should flow out of you, and if it would, the world would say, that's right, that's what they deserve. Rather than that, they see mercy and grace and the patience of God flow out of us towards others. Well, rather than saying, that's right, they would say, what in the world? How can you put up with that? Don't, don't you see what they're doing? And you can say, only because the never impatient God has never dealt with me as I deserve, then I can be patient with others and forbear and endure. And don't worry, your brothers and sisters will someday be able to return the favor <laughs> because we will sin against one another. We will fail against one another. We are going to have shortcomings that, that impact other people. But what a witness five points could be of the patience of God in an impatient world. And so, friend, God has never been impatient, but his patience with sin is not infinite. There is coming a day that God has appointed when he will judge sin once and for all. But before that day arrives, there is opportunity in Jesus for mercy and grace. He is slow to anger, but not forever. So before that day comes, turn in faith and repentance to the only Savior of sinners there is, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, may five points be a place where the Spirit cultivates the patience of Christ in us so that the glory of Christ would be seen and known and exalted by our neighbors and the nations. Let's pray. God, we again exclaim our wonder at your beautiful patience in the face of our constant roaming. We are prone to wander. And even in spite of that, you are not prone to anger. but abound in mercy and grace, steadfast love. And we see that in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we reflect more and more on your patience with us, that your divine patience would flow through us to our neighbors and the nations so that the glory of our Savior might be exalted. Do it, we pray, for the glory of your name.